All right. Okay, page 10. Let's see if we can get done with this uh, and start moving into praying with one another. Page 10. Some have suggested that healing uh, or sickness really is a divine and benevolent mystery that's happening. And unfortunately, there have been some really good people who have suggested this in the body of Christ and have become examples of this. um, that actually some people who are preachers that are disabled and uh, one particular woman that you're probably aware of uh, has become a spokesperson for this particular viewpoint that that somehow or another she um, would not be able to do the things she's doing except for the fact that she's been disabled and in pain and difficulties and so on. And so what I would like to do in those circumstances is when people do present these ideas and really have bought into the idea that they must remain sick in order to be used of God then I often have presented to them the idea, you know, the, uh, if I could put you into a time machine and you go back 2,000 years, wouldn't Jesus heal you? To point out the fact that what they're saying is that the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a very different Jesus than what they're experiencing today. Because if obviously the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would not have done this to them. Yes? Shake your head up and down. All right. Okay, and bad interpretations of Job's surfing and Paul's thorn in the flesh have created people doubts in the sense that they have thought that perhaps that God wished them to remain sick. And if we would really consider the whole subject of Job, if we could distill down the whole book of Job, can I just do it this way? The devil made him sick, God healed him. That's the book of Job. And uh, most people who bring up Job to you uh, don't really realize that Job was healed by God. He did receive a healing. He lived to be 140 years old. And in fact, if you look at Bible commentators on the subject of Job, I think most of them who actually deal with the subject of how long Job was sick, I think just about everybody agrees that his sickness was less than a year. In fact, I would say that that may be an exaggeration. So if it was less than a year, then what percentage of Job's life was he ill? Less than 1%. And see, that's an important point. That some people have the impression that Job stayed sick his entire life, and somehow this is something God wished for him to have, have happen to him. But if you actually do a close study, I mean a verse-by-verse study, and look for time intervals in the story of Job, what you'll discover is that Job uh, has the difficulties with his family, and he becomes sick. And then his three friends come, and they stay one week with him. And they sit with him and don't say a word during that one week. And then they began a conversation. By the way, it would have been a short conversation. It would have been a short book if they hadn't said anything, wouldn't it? And, uh, in fact, I don't know why, quite why they call him them comforters because they do anything but comfort Job. They, they blame him for his sickness, and he turns into blaming God. And this goes on 40-some-odd chapters, I believe. In any case, uh, at the end of this uh, time, what we see is that there is no breaks in the conversation. It doesn't say they went home for dinner, they took a meal, they, uh, that, you know, the sun went down and they continued the conversation the next day. There are absolutely no breaks in the conversation. Job speaks, his friend speaks, Job speaks, the next friend speaks, Job speaks, so on and so on and so on, until a young man named Elihu speaks and says, Job, you've been blaming God and you're wrong. And you friends, you've been blaming Job and you're wrong. And then God appears on the scene and says pretty much the same thing in different words. Job, who are you to blame me for your sickness? And you three friends, you've been wrong in blaming Job. So what we see is this 30, close to 40 chapters, I believe is in there, is all wrong. It's all wrong because what you see is that they're blaming Job and Job's blaming God. And you know, it's interesting. The Bible does tell us in the very beginning it was the devil that made Job sick and no one ever blames the devil. So if anything we can learn from the book of Job is this, that if you're having a Job's experience, you're supposed to get healed. You're not having a Job's experience if you die from sickness. You're supposed to get healed. That's a very important point that we sh- people shouldn't miss in the story of Job. Besides that, we should not use Job as an example for healing to begin with because Jesus teaches us what new covenant healing looks like. In fact, Job was a contemporary of Abraham. And Job is considered the oldest book of the Bible written. The book of Genesis, of course, is not as old as the book of Job is. The book of Genesis was written by Moses, who lived later, had a revelation about what was happening. The book of Job is considered the oldest book of the, of the Bible written. And we believe that God has revealed himself progressively. Is that true? In the beginning, he revealed something of himself, but more has come. He's progressively revealed himself. In the new covenant, he's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. 
which is the highest revelation of God's nature. In the Old Covenant, they didn't have that clarity about what God's nature was in the same sense. So if there's any revelation in the book of Job about healing, it is overcome by what Jesus reveals about healing. So we should draw our theology from Jesus and not from Job. Okay, beyond that, some have taken the book of Job to mean if God allows something, God was allowing Job to be sick, so he must have wanted God to be sick. That's the reasoning that they use in the book of Job. God allowed Job to be sick, so he must have wanted Job to be sick. He allowed the devil to do these things, so he must have wanted the devil to do these things to Job. Well, let's see if that theology works in other situations. Let's apply it elsewhere. God's allowing sickness in the world. He must want people to be sick. God's allowing sin in the world. He must want people to sin. That would mean God's schizophrenic, isn't it? That one side he's going to punish sin in the world and send his son and die for sin in the world, but at the same time he wants people to sin. That's schizophrenia, isn't it? God is allowing children to die of malnutrition throughout the world. Every day, people, kids die of, children die of malnutrition. What God allows, he must want. You don't buy that, do you? No, we as Christians do not determine what the will of God is by what God is allowing. We determine, that's the darkness. The, God, the, the Lord is allowing the darkness in the world at this moment in time, this season of history. The demonic activity is present, fallen humanity is present, and those things are doing things that are not the will of God. We don't determine the will of God by the darkness. We determine the will of God by the light. What the light of Jesus Christ shows us what God's will is, that he wants people to be saved, healed, delivered, set free, and made whole, and that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and our sicknesses, and that's what God wishes for us, not the darkness, but the, the light. Does this sound like good news to you? And so we as Christians don't determine things by what God is allowing, but rather what God wishes in his son, what he's revealed in his son Jesus, by the light and not the darkness. Turn to somebody and say, the light and not the darkness. It's a very good idea that we do that. Now, sometimes people say, maybe God wants us to be sick because Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And they're suggesting to us that this idea of Paul's thorn in the flesh was sickness. Now, I could spend a good long while talking to you about the technical aspects of this discussion, but I'm not going to do that. Let me just suggest to you that there are better ways of looking at this particular thing than the idea that Paul, Paul was sickness and he couldn't get, Paul had a sickness and he couldn't get healed. First of all, this particular passage does tell us what the, what the thorn in the flesh was. Paul says the phrase was, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. Is that how it's translated in English? The Greek word for messenger here is the Greek word angelos. What does that sound like to you? That's right. In fact, most places, this particular word is not translated. It's transliterated into the word angel. They've taken the Greek word and turned it into an English word. It goes from angelos to angel. Most places in the New Testament, translators have done it that way, but in this case, they've chosen to do it, to use the word messenger, which kind of hides the idea that it's an angel. So here's how it reads. A thorn in the flesh, a angel of Satan. It tells you what it is. And as Paul says that it buffeted him and caused him problems. He describes in those passages the difficulties he had. He was whipped uh, several times. He suffered shipwreck. He had... He had dangers uh, from false Christians. He had dangers from false ministers. All sorts of things were happening to him. He's describing all the difficulties he had. Now, I believe the better interpretation of Paul's thorn in the flesh was this. He asked the Lord to stop the persecution, the difficulties he was having from people. There was a fallen angel that stirred up difficulties for Paul everywhere he went. He wasn't asking the Lord to heal something that he couldn't get healed. In fact, in other places, it's pretty evident that Paul did receive healing of different things. He had the same issues that you and I did. He had to face sickness just like you did, but he, but he came to Jesus and he was able to receive healing like everyone else. What he didn't get relieved of is that he asked the Lord to remove the persecution. And the Lord said, no, you basically get to experience what I did in that area. Now, the technical discussion is found in my books where you can go through that. But uh, I believe that you'll find this rather convincing that this is not, Jesus, uh, Jesus is not saying he wouldn't heal him but rather that he had the experience of going through difficulties. Is it possible for you and I to experience the difficulties with relationships as a result of being a Christian? Here's a promise that nobody ever claims. 
those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I don't know anybody claiming that one. (laughs) And yet it's true. Uh, You know, if you're going to do the right thing, there's some people who are not going to like it. It's certainly worth it to do the right thing anyway. Yes? Okay. All right, so let's move on from there. Page 11, uh, excuse me, at the end of page 10, the third common doubt. We were still dealing with the idea that God has a purpose for his remaining sick. The third common doubt is that maybe there's a specific timing for healing. When is the time to be healed? Obviously now. Uh, and when would else would it be? When you're not sick? And when you have the need is when it's time to be healed. When do the people get healed? They, when they had the need, when they came to Jesus, they were able to receive healing. It works the same way now. It's a very important point that we don't somehow postpone healing to some other, some other time. Sometimes people do that because they're, caught, they're captured by some ideas um, that we might call the Colossians error or even some legalism ideas. But in, back a few years ago, I was ministering in a, a town in Mississippi. <clears throat> and, and there was a woman in the, in the church that was on the worship team that had a built-up shoe and a brace on her leg, that, you know, polio is what it looked like. I didn't find out later until it was, it was polio, but she'd had polio, and as a result of that, one of her legs was considerably shorter than the other. And uh, we had had quite a bit of healing happening in this group. Uh, some fairly evident, visible things had changed in people's lives, uh, and yet this woman seemed to never come for prayer. And I don't chase people. I mean, if the gospel doesn't get them... They don't respond to the gospel, then, you know, unless they ask me some questions or something, I'm not generally going to chase them. I, I'm, there's plenty of other people to pray with, you know, the minister to, and so on. I just not my responsibility to fix everything. But in any case, uh, in any case, uh, I did notice that she didn't come for prayer. Well, later on in the week, I was talking to the pastor, doing some review of what some of the things that happened. He says, "You know why she didn't come?" I said, "No, I didn't. I didn't really, I didn't really talk to her." He said, "Well, he said she has a." Revelation, and that she is supposed to be healed by a particular woman on a particular date, <clears throat> and she's supposed to meet this woman in the church, and she's supposed to receive her healing. I said, oh, that's problematic, isn't it? Very spiritual idea. The problem is not what Jesus taught. He healed them when they came, and he didn't postpone things for people. And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, the date did come. She met the woman at the church. The woman prayed for her, but because she had some other issues and other doubts, she didn't receive anything. And now she's convinced the reason she didn't receive healing is because the woman who prayed for her was in serious sin. It destroyed the relationship between these two women. Bad fruit. And she's got a new revelation about when it's supposed to occur. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the problem with coughing when you have one of these on. I apologize for that. <laughs> Maybe that's why it went the other went south before, you know. Okay. So, in any case, uh, Jesus' message was the kingdom is at hand; it's happening now, and that's when people were able to receive when they are actually came. Uh, there's no reason to believe that we shouldn't receive something now from God. Uh, if if there is a delay in our healing, the delay is not on God's side; it's on our side. And we receive what according to our faith, and we can continue to receive. Remember the man, uh, was there any partial healings in Jesus' ministry? Thank you. The man was blind, and Jesus ministered to him the first time. He saw men like trees walking, King James phrase. And then Jesus ministered to him a second time, and the man received his full healing. Now, was God giving it partially, or was the man receiving it partially? Receiving it partially. If Jesus had some partial healings in his ministry, what do you think about us? Might likely to have some things. What do you do if you get a partial healing? You persist. You receive the rest. Partial healing is a good healing. Just get the rest. Yes? If you can get a little bit from God, you can get the rest, can't you? In fact, a partial healing ought to encourage you to receive the rest. But it also demonstrates, too, there was a, there was a time interval, a short time of interval between... First part of healing and second part of healing. Sometimes we see that kind of time interval going where people are receiving. From God's perspective, it's already done, but they're just receiving it over a period of time. But it's already done. It already belongs to them. The time is now for them to receive. Fourth common down, page 11. Maybe I lack faith to be healed. Well, this is possible, but my experience is that, that the issue with most Christians is not faith at all. It's really doubt. 
Once they capture their doubts, and I had a couple of people still question me a little bit about what this business of capturing doubts is about. How do you capture your doubt? When you have a doubt, maybe God doesn't want me well, you capture it on the basis of what Jesus taught his disciples, what the truth is. And we say, okay, maybe God doesn't want me well. Well, he healed everyone in the multitude. So therefore, he does want me well. See, that's how you capture it. You capture it by knowing what the truth is in this circumstance and rejecting the lie, rejecting the doubt in that way. Uh, sometimes people are concerned about their faith, but uh, faith is not a thing that you produce in yourself. You can't somehow make yourself believe. Faith is a byproduct. Everybody say a byproduct. It's a byproduct of hearing the gospel. It's a byproduct of having Christ in front of you, seeing Christ, hearing about Christ. It's a byproduct of him. See, when somebody says, <clears throat> they, says they say, I have faith, they're not really talking about faith. They're talking about something else. They're confusing faith with something else because someone who says, I have faith, is talking about themselves. But a person who has genuine faith never talks about themselves. They talk about Jesus. Their faith is in him. They're looking to his goodness, his mercy, so they don't ever say it that way. And they, in fact, they may never say, I have faith in Jesus. They just talk about the goodness of Jesus. See? Their focus is on him and not on themselves. That's how faith. Faith always has an object outside of ourselves, and it's produced by hearing about him and seeing him in the way he is. And when you see him the way he is, then you begin to see the Father the way the Father is. So there's a revelation that occurs about the nature of God because you've seen Christ. It's not an intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel. When somebody says, I believe in healing, that is not the same thing as saying, I believe in Jesus as my healer. There is a distinction. Now, you can believe intellectually that God heals and still not have personal faith in Christ in that area. In the same way, you can believe intellectually that God saves the saves loss and still not be saved. Fruit, uh, faith is a fruit of the Spirit, it's a gift of the Spirit. Everyone is given a measure of faith that must ultimately rest on Jesus Christ. All is needed is a mustard seed to do what? Move a mountain, just a small amount of faith. So you use faith all the time. You came in here, you plopped yourself right down in those chairs, you didn't see if the chairs would hold you up. You have chair faith. You believe in chairs. You expect them to be reliable, to be faithful. And so you don't even go through an intellectual exercise anymore. You don't check to see if it holds you up, unless you've had a bad experience with chairs recently. <laughs> you expect it to hold you up. It's not an intellectual exercise anymore. It's an exercise of faith. You heard a message about there being a meeting here on Saturday morning. Uh, you may have heard it uh, from the pulpit, you know, from message here, or you saw it in writing, you saw it in poster. But the truth is you believed what you saw or heard, and that's the reason you showed up here today. And you would have been uh, surprised to determine that maybe something wasn't right, you know, that you misunderstood what was happening because you act in faith. You believed these things to be true, and as a result, you showed up here. You're using faith all the time. Faith is a natural attribute of humanity. We use it. It's just a matter of placing the faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God has given us a metron, a measured out portion of faith. Everyone has faith. It's just a question of where you're putting it. And say faith is generated in Christ. When we put it in Christ, then we experience the things that Jesus has purchased for us in that way. So I don't believe faith is an issue. It's a matter simply of capturing your doubts and using the faith that you already have. You got it? Turn to somebody and say, you're a rascal, but you have faith. <clears throat> All right. Chapter 6, meaning of manifestations. We've already talked some about this. Uh, manifestations are not necessary to heal the sick. In fact, uh, you can get people healed without feeling the thing. I have experienced that many times myself. However, they are, they are you know, often we do experience manifestations. most common manifestation that people experience in healing Worldwide, historically, has been heat. When you pray for someone, they feel hot uh, in the spot where you're praying or maybe hot all over. We believe that when somebody's feeling hot all over, it's really a cleansing that's happening. Remember Jesus talked about cleansing the lepers? A cleansing in Greek is the Greek word uh, catharsis, uh, which means a purging, a cleansing in that sense, a purging of something that is evil and wicked. And uh, it has the idea of moral cleansing attached to it. When we see somebody who has an infectious disease, um, uh, HIV, for instance, hepatitis or something, 
Almost always when we see a healing in that area, the people have a sense of just being really clean before God at the same time. That this sense of something contaminating them has disappeared. It's really a cleansing, a system-wide infection. You know, HIV infections are no harder to get healed than anything else. Why would they be? They're just a virus. And isn't a cold a virus? So why would HIV be any different? I can't heal the cold. Jesus can. So why would HIV be any different? Since I'm not doing it, one thing is no different than another. Everybody get this? If you're doing it, then maybe one thing is different than another. It may seem different to you, but the truth is it's all the same. But we encourage people to kind of start with things that they can believe for and then build up. But the truth is as you begin to do this, you realize that God is the one doing it, so nothing is out of sight. Nothing is out of my reach because of what Jesus is. Jesus is actually the one doing it. All things are possible to me and to you because we're not doing it. Everybody say that. All things are possible because I'm not doing it. It's a very important point to recognize that because you're not doing it, because God is the one that's doing it all, all things are possible. Okay. The manifestations come to communicate with us. Um, you know, sometimes you can feel something happening when you're praying with somebody, and as a result of that, when the manifestation may disappear, you kind of know that you're done praying with them. Uh, you feel things happen. I think I mentioned last night <clears throat> walking with my wife in a mall, had my arm up around her, talking to her. I don't think we were talking about anything particularly spiritual, but walking in a mall with your wife is very spiritual. And, um, and I feel healing flow from the inside of my arm to the back of her neck. I said, Sweet, I forget exactly how the order of conversation, but it was like, sweetie, are you feeling okay? And she said, uh, she said well, I've, my neck and and back have felt really tight, and uh, which, which, by the way, is a common problem with women. I don't know if you're aware of that. Much more common with women than it is with men. Women seem to carry their stress in their neck and their back, upper, upper part of the back, and so on. And uh, and she said, and I have a, I've had a headache. And I said, well, how does it feel now? She said, well, actually, it feels pretty good, you know. So what about the headache? The headache's gone. I said, why didn't you tell me you felt bad? Because I felt healing flow to you a minute ago. And she said. Uh, she said, well, I did tell the Lord. Looked to Jesus as her healer, and healing flowed. And this is a very simple way. That's the way it ought to work, isn't it? It should be very simple, and we don't have to produce anything because it's already produced in the, in the cross, and simple faith allows us to access what Jesus has done for us. Um, heat all over the body is pretty common. Sometimes people get... Uh, they get so hot as to radiate heat. I mean, they're uncomfortable to the touch. And sometimes they, they can, we've seen people get hot enough where they are worried about it. Because, I mean, they're just burning from top to bottom. And when we get that kind of thing happen, often we get people out of the crowd just come feel it because it's so unusual, you know, to feel somebody quite that hot. And they just radiate. In fact, standing next to sometimes you just, I mean, I've actually got some distance because I was just getting overwhelmed by the heat coming from someone. Cold in one area of the body is often pretty common too. It's not quite as common as heat or electricity. We feel electricity happening sometimes, but cold is not uncommon. And uh, one church in New Jersey that I've ministered to, and it's, uh, it's uh, Cape May Assembly of God. I've been to that church several times. And when I go to that church, for whatever reason, I feel heat when I'm praying for people. They feel cold. And uh, I was uh, in Florida and this woman confessed to feeling cold. I said, by any chance, are you from New Jersey? She said, yes, why do you ask? <laughs> God has a sense of humor. If you're not sure about that, just look in the mirror. I can, uh, um, God has a sense of humor. If you don't, have not really discovered that, he has an amazing sense of humor. Uh, I've had several occasions where God has played long-term practical jokes that took several years to work out on me. And I, and one one occasion, I heard God laugh out loud at the end of one of these jokes when I realized that he was playing a practical joke on me. He's got a sense of humor. Believe me, he does. Uh, he has to in order to deal with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. In any case, uh, um, t- 
tingling or electrical feeling is a very common experience too. Not as common as heat, but I would say one out of, oh, one out of every five or six people that I have prayed with, that manifestation occurs as long. Sometimes it comes along with heat. Um, sometimes it comes by itself. And we believe it's the gift of miracles functioning. And you would, if, you're, if I was a fiery evangelist, I would say the power of God, you know, but it's electricity is what it feels like. And sometimes I felt it strong enough, it felt like my hands were plugged into a 220 socket. Other times it's just a little flow of tingling. I think I mentioned to you the story of praying for the woman um, uh, who had, had liver cancer across town. And uh, when I prayed for her, it felt like just a little bit of tingling occurred, like touching your tongue to a dry cell. And she was healed of cancer. So it didn't take a lot, you know, a feeling to see something accomplished. And, uh, in fact, they tell me that, that uh, touching your tongue to a dry cell is something the men do, but the women don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, so I had a couple of women go, no, that's not true. <laughs> so, well... But in any case, uh, just a little bit of power can do a lot of good for people. And we've seen creative miracles occur. A little bit, I've prayed for people who have missing eardrums and felt a little electricity flow. Next day, they have eardrums. We've seen that happen. You know, uh, birth defects on one occasion. I've seen some birth defects disappear as a result of, of a little electricity flowing. On one occasion, a woman uh, had had a complete hysterectomy. And we prayed for her and ministered to her, and she, uh, uh, it was about a 30-minute segment here, but a lot of electricity flowing. I mean, it felt like plugged into a 220 socket, and, and within just a matter of days, she had a complete uterus. Everything was pregnant several weeks later. So, yeah. so all things are possible, and nothing is too hard from him. And, this, and by the way, I didn't know that's what was happening. I just knew that all this electricity was flowing to her. And she came back with the testimony that she'd had a complete hysterectomy and, not, and now had a uterus and ovaries and everything. And was, in fact, she came back, first of all, said that she had had a period, and that didn't make any sense to me because I didn't know she had a hysterectomy. And then, she's <laughs> and, then, and then she came back with a testimony. They had a little boy, by the way. It's a longer story. It's a longer story, but uh, these, pe- these folks were really struggling uh, with rejection from the church, rejection because of the man had committed some very serious sins and was in the ministry. And uh, it's a long story, but God just showed them real grace in this circumstance and gave them a miracle. And uh, they got kicked out of their church again because they didn't believe that it actually happened. But uh, <laughs> chapter 7, <laughs> maintaining or completing a healing. The right road leads to the right destination. Here's the, uh, here's the principle is that what you get from God today came on the, will come on the basis of what Jesus has done at the cross. And if you get it all, that's great. But if you seem to, after a few days, you know, you've got a little symptom that appears, the way you get that symptom disappears, really just go back to the cross. Jesus is my healer no matter what happens after, after this moment. And uh, sometimes we have people that have us, you know, they'll get completely free from pain as we're praying for him. And a couple of days later, they'll feel some pain. What they need to do, they didn't do anything wrong when they feel the pain. They just need to come back to the cross. And our experience has been, if they just come back, Jesus, you're my healer. This belongs to me because of what you've done. If they do that, then the symptom just disappears and they maintain their healing. Whatever is received by faith is maintained by faith. It's a very important principle that you continue to do it. It didn't do anything wrong. If it appears that you lost your healing, you just need to come back to Jesus. You didn't really lose it. It's, there may be a symptom or two that appears afterward. You just keep coming back to Jesus to get what you're looking for. Didn't do anything wrong. That's an important point. Um, persistence works when all else fails. Sometimes we see people, a small percentage of the folks, don't seem to get much of anything when we pray for them. Don't put yourself in that category, by the way. It's not, that, uh, it's not that many people, but what happens is we've seen people persist and get their healing. And sometimes people get a partial healing but don't get everything they're looking for, and if they persist, they get the rest. There's a lady that we uh, minister with now. Her name is Deanie. And when I met Deanie, she, she had 10 things on her list, including breast cancer and a really severe problem with acid reflux in her throat, which would, was eating away her esophagus and causing her some pretty severe problems of sleeping at night. And... Uh, so we, uh, in fact, she had a, she had a, uh, she had shingles all over, and she had a shingle in her eye, and the doctor was telling her she was going to lose the eye because of it. And when we met her, we prayed with her. Uh, she heard the gospel. We prayed with her. 
She, her high, eye was, was normal within an hour of the time we prayed with her. The shingles disappeared by the next morning. Her list of 10, ten things that were wrong with her, and some of this was as a result of chemotherapy she was taking, um, had disappeared, and she really felt that she was healed. But she went back to her doctor. The doctor said that Deanie still had breast cancer, and uh, she still had some problems with reflux at night, but all the eight of the things on her list had disappeared. And she, so she called me, and she said, Roger, what did I do wrong? Which is the, the tendency. You know, the cup is half empty rather than half full. I said, Deanie, I don't think you did anything wrong at all. I think you did something right. Tell me what you did to receive this much healing. She said, well, I heard the gospel. I believed it to be true, and I got prayer. I said, good. I said, what should you do to get the rest of it? She said, hear the gospel, believe it to be true, and get prayer. I said, good thinking. Now, the tendency is to drop back into our old paradigms that didn't work because they're familiar. See, See, the truth is is that it's always been this this way. Something that is true, that is new to us, is less familiar than something that may have not been true, but it's really familiar. An old heresy may be much more comfortable than a new truth. You can't tell what's true by whether it's comfortable or not or whether, whether it's new or not, you have to determine by the basis of what God's word teaches, by what Jesus teaches his disciples. That's what's true. He is the truth. So anyway, Deanie, uh, about three months later, she called me and she said, Roger, she said, I've got my complete healing. She said, but it's like wrestling with a crocodile. I said, what? She said, well, it was really slippery. She said, I believed what you said was true. I believe, and she said, what you're saying is simple, you know. The cross is enough. It's already ours. We just need to receive it. And she said, but doing that is another matter altogether. And I know that's true. She said, uh, she said I'd have a bad night with reflux, and I'd wonder if I was ever going to receive my healing. And then the doctor would give me a bad report, and I'd just wonder if I was going to get healed at all or was just going to die of breast cancer. She said, uh, she said, but something you did say really helped me. I said to her, and I'm going to say it to you right now. I said, you're not alone. You are not alone. Turn to somebody and say, you're not alone. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is with you, and his job is to make all the things that Jesus has done real in your experience. It's his job to minister the things of Christ to you. It's his job to teach you, to adjust you. You're not alone. And I said, the Holy Spirit, I said, I don't know why you're having trouble with these two things when you receive the other, but I do know this. If you persist, you stick with Jesus, you stay on the right road, you'll get to the right destination. If you stick with Jesus, keep coming to him, you'll get your healing. She said, she said one night, she said, I had this incredible revelation. She said, uh, I saw that I was having my trouble with self-righteousness. <clears throat> she said, I don't believe any of my, my friends would have called me self-righteous. But she said, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to read my Bible enough. I was trying to pray enough. I was trying to be righteous enough. I was trying to give enough in order to be worthy to receive my healing. And she said, it just became crystal clear that I would never be able to do that enough. It was all about Jesus and it wasn't going to be about me. And she said, Roger, she said, in that moment, I received my healing. She said, I'm completely healed now. Now, the, the, there's some, some more story about Deanie, but Deanie has gone on, and she's very effective in healing ministry. She has gotten this thing really working. In fact, last year, I got a call from, uh, uh, from Deanie. She has some relationships with YWAMers in uh, Bangkok. And there had been a revival on the streets of Bangkok, and they had led 200 female prostitutes to Christ. And 100% of them were HIV positive. All sick, every one of them, many of them with children. And so they, they called Deanie and said to her, and said, well, who do you know that does healing ministry? Because we have a real need here for healing ministry to occur in these women's lives. They're brand new believers and all of them are sick and, you know, and they're all being discipled at this point and so on. Who do you know? And I said, well, we know this guy, Roger Sapp, and he seems to be pretty effective in that. So Deanie called me and I said, well, Deanie, that's really interesting and I'd kind of like to go to Bangkok but let me pray about it. So I did. And the Holy Spirit said, no way. You're not going. Deanie's going. So I called her back and I said, Deanie, I think you're supposed to go. Well, anyway, I've gotten the emails back from this meeting she did. She took six women with her as a team. And they ministered to these ladies. And far as they can tell, 100% of them received healing. 
It's just one email after another of the miracles that have occurred in these women's lives as a result of Deanie and this team going to minister healing to them. Why not? So you, you can receive a healing and then go on to be, be a blessing to others in that area as well, can't you? The story of the friend at midnight should encourage us. In that story in Luke's gospel, what we see is that the, the story kind of tells us this. The friend does not get up to give his friend the bread that he wants because he's his friend. He gets up because the man keeps knocking. And then there's another story. By the way, in that story, let me just go on with that story. There, Jesus goes into the ask, seek, knock series of ideas. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. In Greek, if you'll check the margin of your Bibles, it'll probably tell you that these phrases are in the continuing sense. So it actually says in Greek, Ask and keep asking, and you'll receive. Seek and keep seeking, and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. See, these are in the continuing sense. It's encouraging us to take this attitude of continuing to knock. There's another story, too, the unrighteous judge, where Jesus tells us the woman in the story doesn't get justice because what she's asking for is right. And actually, actually what she is asking for is right. She's asking for justice over her adversary. She gets it because she keeps coming to the judge, and the judge says she's going to wear me out by this continual coming. We have seen this phenomenon for many, many years now, is that people who don't give up get what they're looking for. They get it. They receive what they're looking for. Because what happens is in this process of faith being expressed in this way, then whatever difficulties are present get overcome in the process. It gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to, to adjust, to teach, those things that I can't teach people or even analyze to figure out what's wrong, the Holy Spirit fixes it. And when the Holy Spirit fixes it, they, all these people always have a story to tell. They tell me why they were having trouble because they don't have the trouble anymore because they get it fixed. And it's like my wife. My wife can tell you the story why she had trouble, why it took a year for her to receive her healing the first time. She knows why. She could tell you the story. Deanie can tell you the story. We've had repeated experiences of people just persisting. Now, these two parables tell us two things. God is our friend, but maybe that's not enough in some situations. The other one is it is absolutely righteous for God to give us these things because Christ has purchased for him, but that may not be enough in some situations. But persistence will cause us to receive no matter what the problem may be. The adjustment will come. Sound good? So we've got to hang in there. We don't quit. We don't quit on anybody. We don't condemn them. We hang in there with them. You know, we, we persist. Even when they're ready to quit, we're not going to quit. Yes? Okay, good. All right. Anybody ready to do this tonight, Ben? Good. Well, you want me to talk about curses for a moment before I quit? Okay, page 13. Um. I know that not everybody's been exposed to this teaching, um, but there are a significant number of us who have, and um, there's not a single example anywhere in the Bible of someone breaking a curse in any way. There's no examples of someone attempting to break a curse either, the first point. Number two, the Bible does not contain the phrase breaking a, a curse uh, or any similar phrase that would indicate that curses need to be broken. Number three, and this may be the most important thing that we really need to acknowledge, Christ does not teach or demonstrate the need of breaking curses anywhere in the Gospels. He simply ministers healing and casts out demons without this kind of preparation. This is often presented as some sort of preparation, some sort of prerequisite in order to being blessed. Nowhere do we find that in the New Testament. We don't find it in the Old Testament either. It's not there. Um, Number four, the 12 apostles, the apostle Paul, or any other writer of the New Testament does not teach or demonstrate the need to break curses. They simply minister healing and deliverance to people without this kind of preparation. Number five, the New Testament consistently teaches that believers are blessed and does not even hint that they could, they are, or could be successfully cursed in any way. Somebody can curse you, they just can't successfully curse you. You're blessed. and What Jesus has done for you cannot be undone by the words of a wicked person, no matter who they are. Not even the devil can undo what Jesus has done for you. Number six, when we survey every curse, every verse in the New Testament that uses the, any form of the word curse, not a single one of them even hints that Christians might have a problem with curses. 
Number seven, Galatians chapter three, verses 13 and 14 is the one passage that connects Christ's sacrifice with curses. It says nothing about breaking curses. And it's speaking specifically about the curse of the law, which is the law of Moses, that was spoken by God. Nothing in this passage or any other about breaking the so-called curses that people might speak against us. The false teaching of breaking curses is a combination of the Galatians and Colossians there. It puts aspects of the law of Moses back on believers. It confuses the biblical concept of original sin. Original sin meaning that Adam and Eve's sin in the garden has been passed on to us. Original sin by calling it a curse. The Bible does not call it a curse. The ground was cursed, but God did not curse Adam and Eve. Okay. Then he tries to break this so-called curse when the New Testament offers a completely different solution to the repetition of sins in the family line. Of course, Romans chapter 6 talks about that. If you want an exposition on that whole subject, I highly recommend Watchman Nee's book called The Normal Christian Life. Gives you an explanation of how Christians deal with the tendency towards sin, or what Christ has done for us in that regard. Okay. This doctrine also confuses the power behind curses. It says curses in the law spoken by God, and it says the devil enforces them. It says the devil is somehow enforcing curses when the Bible never connects his curses with the devil at all. The, the, the idea of the devil and the idea of curses never come together in the scripture. So this thing, this thing is, is out of control. It's a superstitious idea that's been passed around in the church where people now are interpreting their lives through this idea. There's a church in our area that uh, has, does deliverance ministry primarily, but, they've, um, but they have really gotten involved in this curses thing. And over the years, uh, I've known this pastor for a long time. He's a friend of mine. I, went by, I, was starting, I was driving by his church one day a couple years back, and uh, I stopped at the church and started visiting with the pastor, and he began to tell me uh, about this coven of witches that had moved across the street. Very concerned about it, uh, believing that some of the problems of the church were now a result of this coven of witches casting spells, speaking curses, and doing other magical witchcraft kinds of things against the church. Well, uh, this went on for two years, and every time I went by there, uh, this is what he was focused on. In fact, they started having special meetings, uh, breaking curses. They had revelations. They had words of knowledge about what the, was being spoken against them. They had names of spirits that were, they were that, that were being sent against them. All sorts of revelations, prophecies, words of knowledge, revelations about what this coven of witches were doing. And uh, they started again having special meetings. They were meeting before church to break curses. They had a special meeting during the week where it was focused was to break the curses coming against. They were, they were engaged in their own thinking in spiritual warfare. And this went on for two solid years. Many, many hours engaged in packing back this coven of witches. One day I went over to the church and uh, uh, started talking to the assistant pastor. I said, tell me about this coven of witches across the street. He said, oh, Roger, that's a sore subject. Come into my office. And so he he said, Roger, we're a little ashamed of this, but it turned out that that coven of witches was a house church meeting across the street. (laughs) For two years, they were running and no one was pursuing. All imaginary. Everything that happened was imaginary. The devil fueling fears of witches. And they would still be doing it, except that some of the people in the house church came across the street and introduced themselves. They were afraid of them. And so they didn't know the truth, and they projected all their fears on this particular group that was meeting across there and interpreted every event, every negative event of the church as if it was a curse coming against it. Once you have this stuff in your mind, then you become paranoid about everything, people saying things against you and so on. Can you imagine Jesus worried about that or Paul or Peter worried about what people were saying about them? There was a lady who called me. Um, this is three or four years back. She called me, and I, she had known me from doing healing ministry, and she lived in a Midwest city, a big city, and she called me and said, Roger, would you consider breaking curses over me? And I said, well, what makes you think you're cursed? She says, well, something happened recently. I was... Uh, walking my dog and I have to take him from my apartment building across the street, a very busy street, and I got bumped by a, by a car. And I said, and you think that's a result of curses? She says, yeah, it's a busy intersection and I just felt like that maybe I was under a curse and that's why it happened. And I said, okay. I said, and 
And uh, who do you think's cursing you? He said, well, there's a woman in my apartment building. I believe she's a witch, and I think, don't think she likes me. I think she's cursing me. I said, okay. Now, let me ask you a question here. It's 7 o'clock now. If I, curse, if I break the curses over you, and she curses you again at 8 o'clock, are you cursed again? She said, well, I didn't think about that. I said, so is it this how it works? Whoever speaks last wins. She says, I didn't think about that. So I said, well, why don't you call me back at midnight and wait till she goes to bed, and that way we'll make sure you're blessed all night. <laughs> you realize how ridiculous this is? It's ridiculous. It's, see, she has come to the place where she believed the devil's power is equal to God's power. And, see, and so it's like what Jesus has done for her is so shallow that the devil can come and splash in it any time he wants. See, I'm convinced that what Christ has done for you cannot be undone by the devil. It can only be undone by your fear and your unbelief. And what these teachings do, it teaches us that the devil can come in any way he wants, just by spoken words against us. Somebody speaking words against us can undo the blessing in our lives. Anybody buys into this is operating in fear and unbelief. Don't buy into it. Another lady called me. This is about a year ago. She called me and she asked for an appointment for counseling because she was struggling with some things. Showed up at our doorstep. Her sister had gotten healed in one of our meetings, so that's one of the reasons she knew about me. She showed up at our house at Texas, and we do counseling in it. And I, my wife was not available, so I had two of the other ladies that associate with us being with us in counseling. So the four of us were talking. And she began to share with me that she had been a Christian for 30 years, and the first 20 years of her Christian life had been really wonderful, and she had grown a lot, but then she had come under a whole series of problems because of curses. And I, first of all, suggested to her, I said, well, you know, the Bible doesn't teach that you can be successfully cursed. I said, and it certainly doesn't teach breaking curses. And uh, she, she said, she started arguing with me about it and began to tell me stories of how curses had affected her. I'll give you an example. She said she had gone into a church and there was a woman sitting in the corner of the church that she discerned to be a witch. And she came under the woman's, the woman started cursing her and she came in. She started having heart palpitations. She went forward. She shared with the elders that she believed she had been cursed by the woman in the back. They spent two hours praying the curses off of her, and then she finally came back to a place of peace. I said, the Bible doesn't teach that you can be successfully cursed. I said, you're blessed, and that cannot be undone with what, by anything the devil does. However, your unbelief can affect it. Well, she started arguing with me, just continued to tell me story after story of how curses had affected her. So in other words, she has interpreted her life through this idea of curses. I really came to the place where I said, I don't know what to tell this lady since she will not listen to what the Bible says. I can't help her. She won't listen to what the scriptures say. And so I sat there quietly as the other ladies were trying to tell her, Roger's just trying to help you here. You know, you don't need to get mad at him. <laughs> and uh, I sat there praying. I said, Lord, help me to tell help this lady. And all of a sudden it occurred to me what to say to her. I said, tell me when you first heard this teaching on curses. She said, well, it was in such and such place. And such and I said, what year? Well, she told me, 10 years ago. I said, okay, and you told me when you first came in here that your life has been messed up how long? 10 years. She said, oh, my gosh, are you telling me that this curses teaching is what's caused me to have my messed up life? I said, absolutely. You have more faith in the devil's ability to curse you than you do in God's ability to bless you. There, I've seen more people troubled and struggling as Christians since this curses thing went around. Amen. It's just been, it's undermined people's faith everywhere. And the Bible does not teach it. Jesus did not teach his disciples to break curses. Turn to somebody and say, you're blessed and not cursed. <laughs> now, I know that there's a lot more questions that that generates about generational things and so on. But believe me, it's all bogus. It's all bogus. You're blessed. That is not part of Christian teaching is breaking curses. It has no place in the church. It is a superstition that needs to be rejected. It creates fear in people, gets this paranoia going where they're always looking for something else rather than keeping their eyes on Jesus. Okay. So, yes, ma'am. Yes, it does. 
The New Testament tells us how we're to deal with the law. <clears throat> the, the answer to the law is not to break the curses because it just doesn't appear in the Scripture. Paul tells us how, what we're to do with the law. He says, don't come under it. He says, he says to us that the law brings wrath. Well, where there is no law, there is no violation. Everybody hear that? Where there is no law, there is no violation. The, the subject, the, the New Testament teaches us not to come under the law, and we won't be under the law, and therefore the law will have no effect on us. And it's not negated. It is the word of God. It's just a, the word of God for different people at a different time. We're not to be under the law of Moses. We're not to live under it. The, New, the Old Testament, the scripture, uh, the book of Colossians says that these things were shadows. But now the light has come. The substance is Christ. See, these things were to point to Jesus. And we're to live by the, by the new covenant, by the New Testament, and not by the law of Moses. Now, I never said this, okay? You're saying something I didn't say. When you walk by grace, you don't do those things. See, for instance, the law tells us what is not right to do. It does. It points to what's not right to do. But the law can never teach somebody what is right to do. For instance, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I can be a rotten husband and never commit adultery. However, under grace, grace teaches me to be a righteous man, to live my, live my life in such a way that I love my wife and lay down my life for her and so on. The law has a huge amount of limitations, just pointing to what's wrong, but never really being able to teach us what's right. Grace, on the other hand, not only teaches us what's right, but it empowers us to do it. That's why living a new covenant, you don't have to violate the old. You won't violate the old if you live in the new covenant. You'll, be, you'll fill, it, fill it. All right, good. All right, let's do some healing ministry. How about you? You ready to do this? Okay. Now, what we want to do is we want to, uh, by the way, I do have a book on curses that's out there. Also, you can download it from my website. I have lots of free files on my website. There's also a little pamphlet out there on curses. Uh, it just goes through the whole quick teaching. Did you know that even the law says that uh, God was not somehow causing people to reproduce their sins? The, 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 the prophets try to correct that as well, uh, that people misunderstood it even in those days. But in any case, uh, take a look at that. If you have any other questions, i be glad to talk with you by telephone or some other way. Don't like to do email to try to do theology. It takes too long to type out answers. But uh, 